This is the hundredth episode of the Danko Jones podcast. La 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 la. Welcome to the one hundredth episode of the podcast. It took four years, almost to the day of me starting this, to get to one hundred episodes. In that time, I've had great moments great experiences, great discussions that I never, ever would have had. So I thank everyone who has been on the podcast so far and everyone who has taken the time to listen to one episode or a few episodes or all of the episodes. Thank you very much. This thing started as an experiment. I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. Or where I was going with the podcast. Still don't know where I'm going with the podcast. But podcasts as a platform podcasting as an activity, was starting to gain momentum in 2011. I was listening rapidly to Mark Maron's WTF, the Joe Rogan Experience, and to the scant few music podcasts out there, and I wanted to throw my hat into the ring. Since then, there's been somewhat of an explosion of podcasts. Everyone seems to have one now. Of course, many don't last very long. When the initial enthusiasm of its founders starts to flail, listeners are left out to hang. That's to be expected and sometimes welcomed since a lot of them maybe shouldn't be podcasting in the first place. Anyways, if you've listened to more than one solitary episode, chances are you've heard my co-host Nick Flanagan, stand-up comedian, writer, and punk rock and roll singer. Nick was the lead singer for Teen Crud Combo, Brutal Nights, and most recently, Wrong Hole. He has a stand-up comedy album called I'm Here All Week, spelled W-E-A-K. Nick's first appearance on the podcast was in October of 2011, episode number eight. And since that time, schedules permitting, he's been able to sit in on almost every episode possible. We've known each other for quite some time, and sometimes the ribbing you hear us give each other on the podcast doesn't have the same friendly fire when we're off the mics. When people ask me about Nick, I tell them that in real life, off the mics, he drives me up the wall. And I'm sure I do to him as well. But probably not because I'm a nice guy. Right, Nick? Right? Yeah. No, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. <laughs> I have uh, went to a doctor and they said I'm, I can barely fit into any society, even, even a primitive one. I would not be welcome with my social skills. So I appreciate the free lunches. Letting me talk to such luminaries as Ronald Sexsmith, Scott Thompson, Wade McNeil. These people know me now. I have their phone numbers. We follow each other on Twitter. I wouldn't have this level of creepy access unless we, uh, unless I were hosting this pod, co-hosting this podcast. Do I host it? Am I the host or the co-host? Sometimes I feel you're hosting. Yeah. Well, and I guess, where am I? Where are you? I'm uh, Skyping. In some uh, cage somewhere? <laughs> I'm cat-sitting. There's three cats here. I have to give one a pill every day. They stink up the bathroom. So it's been four years we've been doing this, Nick. That's crazy. And uh, this is the 100th episode. I can't believe we lasted all this time and we're still talking to each other. Yeah, it's calmed down. It's calmed it down. has, hasn't it? But it seems like we're okay. Seems like we're okay. That might be the, uh, the subheading of the podcast. Yeah, I just rated this on iTunes. I just reviewed the show on iTunes. I gave it two stars. <laughs> but remember folks review us on itunes give us five stars send us retro video games to um uh we'll come up with the address later that you can mail it to keep on supporting the show european american canadian african wherever you are we want you to listen to us talk slowly you know, for the listener right now who's listening to this and saying, okay, great, I'm here because I want to hear a Duff McKagan interview or I want to hear, you know, an interview with Matt Sorum. 
I want to hear an interview. Matt Sorum has never been on this podcast. Goodbye. Joe Satriani. Ray <laughs> Malmsteen. I want to hear the greats of rock talk to another rocker. Well, I say to you, don't go straight to the Jim Brewer interview. Don't go straight to the Henry Rollins interview. Save those. Check out the George Pettit interview. The Wade McNeil. The Damian Abrahams. The ones that are just me and you. Just the ones that are just me and Danko arguing about, you know, what rapper is better. I'm telling you, that's where the gold is. Um, th- thank you, question mark? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot for Adding calling in. Hey, no problem. Calling in on Skype. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. Now, I've stated before, this is a labor of love. I don't get paid doing this. We don't have sponsors. We have what I call supporters of the podcast. Blue Mic Microphones gave me the Yeti mics I use to record and capture the episodes and Skull Candy headphones gave me the headphones I use when recording, editing, and Skyping with guests. They didn't pay me anything. The recent addition of Chino Loco's restaurants is just because I love that place and want to align myself with them because their food is great, and that's it. I'm also not trying to parlay this venture into a second career. Again, I do this because it's hella fun and keeps me occupied when I'm on the road and even when I'm at home. For this episode, I wanted to revisit some classic moments and guests just to give the novice listener a feel for what they missed 99 times previously. There isn't enough time to touch on every episode, but if you feel so inclined, rewind your way back to episode 1 when it was just me reading old articles I had written for magazines into a microphone and work your way forward. So, let's begin. Sit back, relax, we made it to 100. This is the 100th episode of the Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. They play the kid as Danko's crew will tell them for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Jimmy in from fucked up. Stop playing. Hang down. down. What do you see in my future? What are you reading and bones? She paused for a while. Flash an alligator smile as she told me Danko Login protocol initiated. Sequencing algorithm interface. The official Danko Jones podcast uploaded. Listen with caution. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. The one rule I adhere to with this podcast is all guests should have a direct connection with me and or Nick. I should either be a good friend of the person or a huge fan of the person or, in a lot of cases, both. This is in hopes to ensuring a loose, informal conversation rather than the conventional stiff Q&A interview that I myself know all too well and would rather steer clear from. Questions and discussions on the podcast are sparked, hopefully, out of a genuine interest and natural flow of the discussion being had, avoiding self-conscious answers. The only way to do that is to invite people you're comfortable with. Whether people know it or not, I'm not the most outgoing, gregarious fellow. I like to save it all and spurt it out on stage. After that, I keep to myself. So I've used the podcast to deliberately put myself in social situations. Of course, the lure is I get to be personal and social with people I admire, and they always yield some pretty great stories. Here's one with Phil Campbell from Motorhead talking about Motorhead tour hijinks. Look what happened with, with <laughs> Testament, with Chuck was trying to get me. I rode a horse on stage, didn't I? Really? You didn't know about that. What, on this tour? No, no. On the Metal Masters years ago, there's there's us, there's Testament, us, Heaven and Hell, and um, Judas Priest. So the night before, uh, I'd only just met Chuck, I really got to know him on our tours. So we hung out good, I introduced him to drinking some cider and stuff and fart machines and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) 
and he made the grave mistake of saying at Irvine Meadows, I think, that tomorrow's the last gig of the tour, Campbell. We're going to fucking outdo you. We've got some fucking stuff lined up for you. I went, oh, Chuck, you wasted your time, man. You're out of your fucking league. So he had a couple of strippers lined up the next gig, and I, I, I rented a full fucking size horse <laughs> with water dress that Ronnie Deal gave me in a blue wig. And I just rode it on stage right in the middle of their set, in the middle of the fucking, with a big red laminate like that. It's all on video and pictures, yeah. And and yeah. Uh, did they end up bringing out the strippers? Yeah, we no. time on it. You, no. you, you ask him, yeah, he just he bows down to right. it. The big man <laughs> bows down. You gave away the newspapers. Huh? You gave away the newspapers also. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah, because the next day, I forgot, I, I said to our manager oh, the night before, oh, Chuck, I said, oh, I'll probably get a fucking horse tomorrow, sugar. Bastard or whatever. And I forgot all about it. And the next day at the Shoreline Amphitheatre, our tour manager came. He said, Right, anyone want anything from the runner? And I went, Oh, this, this is Pan C, so it's for anyone. I said, I'll have six six bags of marbles, just in case this will roll on stage. <laughs> 20, 25 USA Today newspapers and one large horse. I said, Okay, you serious now, Phil? You want a, you want a horse? Yeah, I've got a nice large horse, would be good. So, I thought it ain't going to happen anyway, but he came back an hour later. We've got a horse, bro. We've got a horse. It's 500 bucks for the hour, but we, but we have to <laughs> subdue the horse. The owner's going to come, but we have to give the horse some some valiums. So the owner's cool with that. It's great. So uh, we testament. Yeah, I, I told Tiffany. I I told Tiffany knew about it, and I said. So she told Chuck. She said, look, after the third song, because we didn't want to shock the horse because of volume. Right. Even though it was tranquilized, like, so she said, she told, no, no, seriously. So she, uh, the name of the horse was Amber, by the way. So she told Chuck, she said, look, after the third song, just, just take a minute and just say, we like to thank being on tour with Priest and Evan and blah, blah blah blah. And that was our cue. So we went on. I think Mickey, Lemmy, Lemmy was dressed in a turban, wiping up the horse shit, and Mickey had my pantomime Mexican donkey costume on I'm in a large horse I'm, I'm, I'm waving I'm like Caesar waving in full sunlight it's brilliant and then so we so that was the testament gig then I, I got changed I did, did a Modred thing like that then as soon as Modred finished I ran on I distributed in the first 20 rows one page each for USA Today newspapers so when Heaven and Hell came on right I told him I said it's the last it's the last gig it's a prank so when I Iomi came on and, and Ronnie the first fucking 50 rows of reading newspapers. <laughs> They're looking around like oh, I'm in the side going, there, yeah, boys, they ah, oh, you bastard. And Judas Priest wanted to cancel, but I was too t they, they, they didn't want to fucking play. They didn't know what was going to happen. Did you have something planned for... No, I, no, I, was, I, I, was, I was spent by then. No, I didn't have enough time. <laughs> they were very worried, though. That was bad. So awesome. beware, so... Uh, no, where's I, me? I was just talking about it, but it's, you can see the video on, online and everything to warm up the horse... Motred on horse. As a rock fan, the best moments doing this podcast come when you're privy to inside stories you've never heard before. Here's a candid bit involving GNR keyboardist Dizzy Reed and GNR guitarist Richard Fortas talking about the time Richard auditioned for Guns N' Roses on episode number 57. Well, hey, let's talk about that. That's people. something people need to know What's about. That? When you audition for the band. Oh please, what? Tell, what do you mean? So Richard comes down, and we kind of knew. It was well, wait gonna... a second. I got to set this up because I flew in. I was on tour with Enrique Iglesias. See, another C. See what I'm saying <laughs> about his flipping resume, dude? You got you got everything here. Name name all the genres of music. He's played with the top. Okay, of so of all of them. So so wait, wait, wait check it it's out. Disgusting. So I did. I was. I did. I finished our last night at so Royal good. Albert Hall. I had a car waiting. I got on. Got in the car, went to the airport, flew to LA, went straight to the audition. Yeah. Did the audition, and then. Well, here's the audition, okay? So it's like we'd audition about 15 guitar players, and Axel, we kind of knew Richard was probably going to be the guy, and Axel comes down for that audition. And, you know, everything else is like, you know. I think seven. I was the only guitar audition that Axel's ever shown up for. So who's I possibly? Think I hold that possibly yeah. So who figures who who like who makes the cuts? Is it you, Dizzy, or is it the other? <laughs> if it was me, it there Del? would be no guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> I don't make the cuts for Jack nothing, dude. Who, who, Come who, on. Who does? Like, is it Dell or is it? Who? No, 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 no. 
and, and good thing you mentioned Dell. But um, no, it, it, at the end of the day, it's up to the man. It really is. Yeah, I understand. It yeah. is. So so he kind of heard the, the vibe and the buzz about Richard. So he comes okay. down, and Alex and I are sitting. We're talking about something, man. I don't remember what it was, but Richard plugged in his guitar and started playing the intro to Stray Cat Blues off of Beggar's Banquet. And we thought someone put the record on. And we're looking, we stopped talking. We're looking around going, what the hell is that? What is that? What is that? And we looked over, and it was Richard playing the intro to Stray Cat Blues. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. I was just and, get, and, I was getting a sound on my that was you know, pretty like, much that was pretty much it at that point. Like, yeah, Axel. I remember that, to fill that position. Axel goes, "Whoa!" Two points scored before the game even begins. Really? Wow! Uh, big points for playing straight cat blues. But I, I was just which then was Richard, Richard and I, man, you know? Richard and I on the side eventually later on ended up working up that song and playing it all the time man and we should do that with you one day yes I think that's a Danko Jones cause I can I'll sing the shit out of that fucking song man even though it's kind of twisted and uh, lyrically oh you're gonna take the mic did you no, say oh Dizzy's okay. not scared what oh, are we yeah. doing a duet are you, do you have a problem with that I forgot well, what about am I that play, you he doesn't know so wait a minute Richard's on Richard's you, on guitar what the hell am I gonna do you're gonna play, play guitar, guitar. I, I'm relegated to sing but you can play I, I can you know play. Ri- I can play Danko the shit out of heard, a power has, chord. Danko hasn't heard my songs. That's no, a, that's dude, no. Dizzy, just Dizzy, no. fucking kill. No, I wow. haven't. I, I haven't heard the album. I, I, oh, man. I, I, try, I try my best, man. No, he killed. But I, I, I uh, Dizzy, Reed we're gonna, I, we're gonna play you some songs. Yes. Yeah, I that's what hear. we're gonna do. And then we're gonna play you some new Dead Daisies. It's gonna blow. And then I, we're gonna play I, some new Dead Daisies. your skull. I wanna, I wanna hear it. And I, the new stuff. The shit that you I did on the to do plane. it all. Yeah. And I'm telling you, like, I don't want to... I'm there for you guys. Anytime you want some keyboards and any Danko Jones stuff, I want to be like, I play keyboards for Motorhead. I want to play keyboards for Danko Jones. All right. Me too. I played guitar for Enrique Iglesias. I, um, and Rihanna. And I can play guitar for you too. <laughs> <laughs> like I mentioned before, the podcast is also a chance to hang out with friends and exchange stories. Here's one with Jim Rota singer and guitarist of Fireball Ministry, and sometimes co-host of Nikki Six of Motley Crue's radio show called The Sixth Sense, talking about his friend, Nikki Six, on episode number 78. I'll be, you know, driving in my car, and, and, and I'll text him like, hey, where did you guys track Shout at the Devil? Or no, like, where did you guys track the first record? And he'll write back, in hell. Fuck and I'll be like, and I'll be like, come on, I'm like, come on, man. I really want to know, where'd you track the record? And I'll write back, I don't remember. <laughs> and you're like, come on, dude. But then he'll get into it. The other thing he always does that rules is that you're going to love this so much, dude. Like, he'll, he'll go to get on a plane. Like, he's, he'll be leaving, you know, like leaving town or something. And he'll be like, hey, man, just wanted to let you know I'm getting on the plane. If anything happens... And the plane goes down. <laughs> the looks that kill booths are in my garage. Oh, that is amazing! <laughs> yeah, like, you're like, holy shit! Or he'll be like, he'll be like, dude, I'm getting on the plane right now. I just want you to know that if anything goes down, this if if the plane goes down, the stripy suit from from the theater of pain <laughs> tour is in my hall closet. And it's yours. <laughs> oh, 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 man, that's amazing. Yeah, okay. So now are you going to call him? Fuck. Well, what do I want? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is incredible. Yeah, he's the best. He's the best. Here's another story from Super Suckers singer and bassist Eddie Spaghetti talking about Johnny Ramone on episode number 88. It isn't every day you meet someone who can lob over a Ramon story at the drop of a hat, but Eddie can. I just read Johnny Ramon's autobiography. I hadn't read it before, and it totally put me in a really good way towards Johnny Ramon. Because I was going through some sort of, I'd made up my own canon where I was like, Yeah, there's Joey, stories. He took Joey's girl, and he's just this mean, he's this Republican meanie, and he's just not nice to anybody. That's and my then, assessment. Yeah, and then I, when I read, and that's true. So I have to read the book. It's true, but then you read it, and you're like, well, this is a guy who did have, like, an artfulness to him, a plan, and, and, and I think a, a lot of affection. Even for Joey, it's just like, I don't think there was any way... 
I don't think he was correctly communicative. There's no way yeah. for him to appropriately show it in his masculine code. Yeah, that's, would that's exactly it. not allow him to show mm-hmm. any sort of affection or appreciation right. yeah. for anybody. And, uh, I have a great Johnny Ramone story. Okay. We were on tour with the Ramones for a brief period in the mid-90s when we were on tour with White Zombie. The Ramones were the main support and we were the opener. And so we were on tour with them for like a week. It was the whole reason we took the White Zombie tour to begin with. And uh, so Johnny comes, we're backstage playing poker with CJ a lot on that tour because CJ was great. And we played a lot of poker back then. So we were playing poker with CJ and he, Johnny would come back to our room. You guys mind if I stand in here? I'm like, no, of course, you're Johnny Ramone. You can stand wherever you want. We're happy to have you here. And he's like, yeah, okay. What's going on in your dressing room? Yeah, Joey's in there. Or what's he doing? Is he warming up? Or is he, no, I just fucking stand in there. I'm like, and you can't be around. I can't be around that fucking guy when he's just standing there like that. He's just fucking standing there. <laughs> so we're going to go on stage, and I realize I don't have a pick. And he like, he's like, here, take take one of these. And I'm like, look at it. It's like one of those Fender plastic picks that I know I'm going to break immediately. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to break this. I, I thanks, but I'm going to break. He's like, you can't break that pick. I've been playing these things for 20 years or whatever. And he's like, I never broke one. I'm like, all right, I'm going to break it. I'm going to show it to you. And I come back, I, I break it like the second song and I have to grab one from Dan or whatever. And after the show, I go, I'm like, check it out. It's broken. He's like, man, you're a fucking animal. <laughs> That's awesome. So Johnny Ramone called me an animal. That's amazing, <laughs> man. That's awesome. Now, do you have that pick? You still have it, Yes, right? I still yeah. have it. Fuck, that rules. Yeah. That's an amazing story. It's one of those white picks that say Ramones and like the type letters across the front of it. Oh, so it does have the Ramones on the pick. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I thought it just said it. Fender Heavy. <laughs> no, but you can I can never I, prove it to anybody. <laughs> right. I, you know, you can totally tell that it's oh, that's so cool. Ramones sanctioned material. That's um, so cool. Two of my favorite guests on the podcast have been Damien Abraham, singer of Fucked Up, who has been on the podcast six times now, and Duff McKagan, bassist for The Walking Papers. Loaded, Velvet Revolver, and Guns N' Roses. Getting the two of them together to talk about punk rock and with Duff's punk rock history was somewhat of a history lesson. Here on episode number 42, Duff talked to Damien and myself about the transition from punk rocker to rock and roller, bridging the two worlds, and meeting the guys who would eventually all become Guns N' Roses. Rip was a little cooler. Like it they was, come out yeah. a couple of years later, but Hip Parader was. I mean, it was cool to be in Hip Parader. But um, like as a punk dude, were you like? That's what I want to know. Is like, how are you bridging these two worlds? Especially at at the time it was was you know eighty five to eighty seven. How are you bridging that in your head? To me, really, I mean, I I, I think I've I've said it before and enough times. I just. Um, like sometime in '83, like the punk rock that I knew was gone. It was just, it was gone, and it, I was mourning that, like that fun and that inventiveness, and it was all just kind of punk by numbers, hardcore, you know. What do And and the kids coming in from the suburbs and shaving their heads and fighting, mm-hmm. you know, and they're you know putting the the, the Nazi hand up and. I'm like this. Not my scene. Well, that's an easy scene to get out of. Yeah. Yeah, and I was. I'm I'm done with that. You know, I would go still go see my band. Like, but uh, anything that was associated closely, remotely associated with hardcore, hardcore '81 was different. That was in '81. Yeah. yeah. But by '83 was just a. So these kids would come to the shows and all up and down the West Coast. It just for me ruined it. You know and. uh, um, I I so by eighty it wasn't like I was I just knew there was a there was a sea change even like Ron Ray's in in Hollywood with me in eighty four he had this band called Crash Bang Crunch Pop just weird like oh. I want to be, be like Sweet and oh. Hanoi Rocks you know or and Prince cool that's you can do it you can do whatever you want because we were just trying to invent something. Everybody was who was like I guess around my age was nineteen or twenty. Been playing in bands for long, you know, five years is a long time when you're nineteen. Yeah, that's oh yeah, quarter of your life. You've been touring and doing stuff. You're a veteran, so whatever's next is on your shoulders and whatever that was. And and then I just happened to you know meet Slash, 
threw an ad in the paper and he was this dark weird dude from, from Hollywood and had hung out in Starwood and seen Pierre but he had long hair and played like a blues guy like this is fucking cool you know and um, Izzy moved in across the street from me and he's this guy from Indiana and punk rock he played in the Naughty Women played drums for yeah. the Naughty Women you know hung, he was down at the what's that Pat Brown what's that club down there Huntington in, Beach in Huntington Beach uh, the uh he was there the, the one, night of the, the riot, the thing happened. The Black Flag riot? Yes. Yeah, the, um, fuck, what riot is that? Oh, Bad Brown. Uh, you know what song I'm talking uh, about. I don't know, I'm trying to remember the name of the club, though. But, but he was there, yeah. you know, so he yeah. hung out and that, and he was this cool, like, Keith Richards-looking dude, and things just really happened, and Axel was his buddy, and Axel was, he was the real deal. Yeah. More punk rock than anybody trying to be punk rock. Because it was real. Yeah. And it was... Like a real marginal... Like, that's what he needed to be type thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was him. And it like was... danger incarnate kind of? Yeah. And it was, you know, more punk rock than punk. And it was more metal, I guess, than what I knew metal to be. It was just, like, kind of everything. And what were your friends like, though? Like, because that's... <laughs> you know, once again, not to bring it back to me. But I remember, like, even when, when my band started getting written up in, like, you know, mainstream music magazines... Like some of my friends that were like, "Fuck your band now, fuck you guys." Was it like, were you, were you, were like, because Guns was like a punk band still, but like, were there people back in Seattle like hating on it, or was it all like, like being like, "Dude, you guys." No, I think because we we kind of bridged that gap mm -hmm. uh, just perfectly because there was kind of one of everybody in the yeah. band. Nobody's we were nobody's trying to get mainstream yeah, press yeah, by any true. means, and. And the, the band was genuine. Mm -hmm. So when we played on that tour, that cult tour, mm -hmm. uh, and we came through Seattle, we played the Paramount. And uh, I mean, everybody that was kind of anybody in Seattle, you know, the Soundgarden guys yeah. and the, the, the Green River you know, and guys and, and Andy Wood and everybody came to the gig because mm -hmm. we were like, I was one well, of you're them. like the hometown guy coming back. Yeah, I was one of them. Yeah. And they were all, you know, uh, Mother Love Bone was starting up, and and they wanted to be. I mean, Andy wanted to be the biggest rock queen, you know. So, <laughs> and he was a malfunction. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I think it just kind of made, at the time it made sense. No, I didn't get shit. You know, like one like going to East Village or something, New York. You know, some skinhead dude. Yeah, fuck you. Fuck you, yeah. rocker faggot. You know, like. Uh, it was weird at that point being like, I'm, I'm bless you, bless you, child. You know not what you <laughs> exactly. Like, are you like, dude? I saw all the bands you have written on your jacket. Like, I was there at those shows. Like, do, like, is it weird being like in that position where you're like, dude? I am. I've paid all those fucking dues. We are not the same as these other bands that we're getting lumped in with. So that's the thing. Like, Guns kind of got lumped in. Yeah, they like, did. That's why I brought up, up the Hit Parader. Yeah. and you guys weren't that band. You weren't that band. You weren't like Striper or anything no. like that. It was one listen and you could easily tell. But we believed in ourselves, so we didn't really even care about what anybody said about us. Uh, what magazine we ended up in. We were just doing our thing. We were in this little bubble doing our thing. And uh, really probably ignorant to a lot of the stuff that was even being said or magazines we were in. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have a collection at home of... I didn't keep every magazine and collect it. I'm on that mind that I would have... And it's also pre-Twitter where people like... Wrote, wrote, be like, hey, did you read this terrible review about you? Yeah. Then, <laughs> right. yeah. you'd be gone by the time that would come out. Review yeah, would come out in a paper. So, yeah, yeah. Right? So, uh, um, it was just a. Uh, it kind of had to be there, but I've never had a, a real urge to explain myself, like to punkers mm -hmm. or to anybody, mm -hmm. even to this day. Like, um, it's. I mean, it's funny talking to you. You're like, dude. Fast packs and veins and like, yeah, you know, people do get, they get it. They, history does have a tendency to straighten things out. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And you see that now because you're seeing, you know, you're seeing like the, the children that grew up finding these records starting bands, you know, and you're seeing like that happens, you know, and it's part of the natural process, like being a Guns N' Roses fan being and someone being at a record store being like, Yo, check out this farts record. This is the dude from GNR's band, and you're like, what the fuck? And then you go back and kind of follow the, you follow those threads, mm -hmm. and I guess as as pe more and more people are doing that, you know, you get a better picture kind of emerging of, 
you know, like I, I, you know, I knew you were you were a punk band as a fan, Guns N' Roses, because of the songs you were covering, like, you know, doing like fear songs or something yeah. like that. Like I knew it was like there's a punk thing there, you know, Dead Boy songs or, or Rock from the Tomb songs, as the case may be. Yeah. And, Is it a Rocket from the Tomb song? Well, yeah, Ain't It Fun was originally a Rock from the Tomb song. Peter Loeffner wrote it uh, before. Uh, before Dead Boys cover yeah. Oh, wow. And stuff. And Very cool. Yeah. Sometimes episodes don't go as planned. The most memorable podcast episode I've ever done was with Henry Rollins, episode number 28. Now I can say it. Henry was not into doing the podcast. Granted, I threw it at him last minute, and he grudgingly, very, very grudgingly agreed. For the first 15 minutes of the talk, he did not make eye contact with me, and he stared at the ground. He gave me one-word answers, and his body language was very easy to read. It was unnerving, to say the least, but I held my ground. And here's the moment he swung around, when he bolted up, finally looked me in the eye, and our talk went upwards from there. It was hard won, but worth it. Henry's still tops in my books. When we, we played in 05 uh, in New York, we played the Mercury Lounge with uh, M- M- Watt and uh, uh, Kira's band, uh, Dos. Mm-hmm. Dos or Dos. 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 And um, Kira mentioned in the dressing room that you were working on a book on Stalin. I was, I was reading one, not writing she one. To- she, okay, well, I well, don't I, I mean wrote, to throw I, her under I, the bus. I wrote a, well, no, no, she probably misunderstood me. Oh, I wrote a very long thing, like 10, 11,000 words on Stalin, but it's not a book. It's a piece of a book called Rumanitarian, and uh, I may have shown part of it to her, but uh, no, it's not a whole book. I'm not a historian. I wrote a very weird abstract thing about Stalin after oh, having read so much about him. I wrote a thing about uh, the mindset. Uh, basically, I wrote a thing uh, as his great-grandson, because he has a great-grandson. Mm. And the way the triptych goes with Russian names, you the, the names, uh, like every three generations, you have the same name as your great-grandfather. And mm. this guy, this great-grandchild, the son, has the same name as Stalin, uh, whatever, Jugashvili, uh, the, la- the, 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 real, the, yeah. the real last name. And there was an article in the newspaper about this guy. He's just some little kid. And I, I said, damn, that's... And the, the town's really into it. I mean, this is, a, I guess, it's some part of Georgia. They really like Stalin. And the, the, the okay. grandson is like, well, he was a great man. And there's a lot of people in Russia who still stick up for Stalin. I mean, I'm sure there's people in, in Cambodia who still think Pol Pot was the answer. I mean, there's always a, some battered wife somewhere who will stand up right. for their man. Right. And you can go to the Kremlin right now, and there's some weeping woman keeping Stalin's grave clean, I'm sure. Um, that's just how that, you know, that kind of mental slavery is. But yeah, I, I wrote quite a big wad of writing at one point on Stalin. I was very satisfied with that writing. <laughs> I, I, okay, I enjoyed it. Since 05, I've been kind of watching every release that you've done, and I have I had yet to see that book on Stalin because that's what she said. But well, no, it, it's just a, clarify that it's a chapter. It's yeah, in okay. a book called Rumanitarian, and I forget what the piece is called, but it's in there, okay. and it's a pretty weird piece of writing. Okay, I, I, yeah, because I have um, I haven't read the Mad da- uh, the Mad Dash, but I did read a dull roar mm-hmm. and a preferred blur. So no, uh, thanks. I will say that maybe, just maybe, this podcast has acted as a catalyst for some cool happenings. Here's a clip from 2012, episode number 27, the time comedian Jim Brewer was on, and I couldn't stop talking about how he possesses the chops to be an incredible metal singer. Well, since then, Jim has recently been into the studio and churned out a full-on metal album with Rob Caggiano of Volbeat and Anthrax at the production helm. I look forward to hearing it, not taking any credit or anything, but maybe, just maybe, this was the start of it all. Why aren't you doing this for real? Because you, there's, only, I, there's a clip on YouTube, and anybody out there, do a search. Sebastian Bach, Jim Brewer, Rob Halford trading verses on a Halford track, and 
I sing for a living. I cannot stand on the same podium trading verses with two of the greatest hard rock singers of all time. Why are you not doing a legit, real, <coughs> real, no funny stuff, real band? Well, again, I constantly, you know, James Hetfield kind of inspired me this year without realizing he inspired me. Um, like he, he was talking about how Tenacious D opened up for some of the dates. That That's they, another connection, yeah. And I say that about uh, Jack Black. When I first heard Jack Black and I listened to him, I go, all right, I get the comical thing, but why are you not putting out one freaking song yep. that's serious because Jack Black has an amazing voice. His voice is sick. Yeah. And I, I got to be honest with you, I'm when you see the first song that I'm going to do today, it's called Heavy Metal Man. It's comical, but at the same time it's real. I I I I have that demon in my head where are people really going to take you seriously? If you're the metal goal, even though I know I can pull it off, I know I can pull it off. Yeah. But is it, I put comedy aside, it, it confuses your audience. I see. It confuses your audience where they're going, is he trying to be serious? Is he, uh, what is he doing? Is he left this world to just be a singer now? I think I could pull it off in the Europe world and outside the States world. Um, uh, and I have toyed with this idea and I have done my own rock and roll show years ago where it was just original music uh, I thought it was very thought provoking it scared me a little bit um, but to answer your question I've thought about it but I truly think this is the beginning and opening of that door you are Mark Wahlberg you are rock star Mark Wahlberg. You are you could be the Rob Halford subin from you could be the Tim Ripper Owens. It could be like it could have been you and Tim at the last audition in front of fucking, you know, Tipton and, and Downing and they went with, with Tim Ripper Owens. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I, when I saw that clip, man, like I don't care about you know, anyone can do an impression of a movie star, but if you're gonna do a singer you're one degree away from putting out your own record. Well, I, you're, you've inspired me. Um, you've inspired me. You, you have no clue how you inspired me just in this conversation. You actually, you don't even realize this, from my performance today, I'm not, I'm not worried, but I feel the need. I will be accepted and I need to show them what it will be. I'm a little under the weather, but this single conversation just made me realize I'm going to take the threshold today and I'm going to make a statement and it's going to be on come 5.30 when it's over. The very first guest we had on the podcast was my old pal, Brendan Canning of Broken Social Scene. A lot of people might be wondering, what does a guy in Broken Social Scene have to do with me? Well, firstly... Brendan and I were roommates for four years, and while I was rooming with Brendan, BSS was pretty much birthed in our house. Secondly, while both known for playing different types of music, Brendan for indie rock and me for rock and roll, we both like each other's genres and each other's music. I'm a huge BSS fan, partly because Brendan's in it, but still, I do like a lot of their albums. Brendan is an old metalhead, and there were countless times and countless nights we'd spend talking about heavy music. So who better than Brendan to be the first guest on the podcast? What makes Brendan a great guest is he kind of doesn't give a fuck. Here he is admitting a dalliance that involved an old roommate in a roundabout way on episode number 10. George's girlfriend, Renee, was trying to get into my room once and opening the door, and I had to say, honey, no, bathroom's down the hall. I later on, I later on fooled around with her. Wow. Are you admitting this on the podcast? Should I edit this out? No, that's okay. I, I can don't leave think this I, in? I don't think I ever told George. Well, You're going to leave this in? You're going to let me leave out. this in? 
Yeah, yeah. Now, let me, yeah, that was like in 2002. That's only nine okay, years. Okay, that's only nine years. You can still be arrested. If can, can, can we just like? Can we talk about this a little bit more? Because sure. Renee was the girl who was the the Hasidic. She was the the, the tongue, right? On the, oh, for the for the Rolling Stones. Yeah, yeah. That was the her. lips. Yeah, she was yeah, the lips. Because George George was doing some work with Rolling. I don't know, creating. You know, like. Can we talk about lips? this? Yeah, I think so. So if you ever saw the Rolling Stones during the Forty Licks tour. Yeah. There would be a screen that pops up before the band goes on stage, and then there's uh, a pair of lips, just like the signature logo, the Rolling Stones logo. Yeah. And there'd be a shot of milk at the screen, and then the lips lick the the milk or whatever. Yeah. Our roommate George shot that for the Stones. Yeah. And the pair of lips was this girl, Renee, that Brennan is talking about. Yeah. Hey, listen, I didn't fool around with her. I think I can say it. She's quite a looker. Yeah. Great. I mean, I didn't now, know this. You know what? Revelation. Right after uh, the night of the You wow. Forgotten in People album release mm-hmm. at the Lula Lounge Club. Oh, so you were in you were in your yeah, grand. Your yeah, your, your the light. band was just starting out. God, yeah, the buzz going. Yeah, the whole yeah, anything was possible. Everything. You could. And George was shooting all the backstage so stuff. So you were laughing at him. He was your bitch <laughs> that night. You were telling her to shoot. Yeah. And then this lady, she saw you in all your glory. This is what she goes. She says, "Hey, what's I'm really excited about." <laughs> I actually don't think I can improvise. What she had a cold? You could have bagged her if she had a cold or something. I don't she think you could have. Really sore throat. Hey, she needed a cough well drop today. I really need. I really need to relax. <laughs> she needed a halls. <laughs> I heard about this new method of carrying the common cold. That's great. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Interesting. Anybody who knows me knows I'm a huge Kiss fanatic. It's no surprise this podcast kind of doubles as a KISS fan podcast. There have been several KISS-themed podcast episodes. I've brought on fellow podcaster Cassius Morris when he was only 13 years old to talk about KISS, as well as Jonathan Fenno and guitar maestro extraordinaire Marty Friedman has been on this podcast twice to talk about KISS. But the greatest KISS moment I had was when Lydia Chris ex-wife of Peter Chris, author of the book Sealed with a Kiss, came on the podcast for episode number 49 to talk about the story behind the smash hit song Beth and how she was its inspiration. You know, everybody knows that Peter's biggest song he ever sang on was Beth. And really, could you could you explain the whole <laughs> I mean I know I know the story but I mean could you explain yeah. the whole story okay. behind the song Beth. Beth okay all right Beth was written for a girl named Beck her name was Rebecca and her last name was Brand and her husband Michael Brand was the guitar player in Peter's band Chelsea right. and she was a little they were newly married so they she was a little bit possessive and like Mike when are you coming home Mike you know what she'd always call the studio which I would never do and um, she would you know she was a teacher and she you know she was a smart girl but she was a little insecure like you know when are you you getting here so Peter and Stan Penridge wrote the song Beck Beck I hear you calling but I ain't coming home tonight me and the boys are playing and you know we can't find the sound but I'm not you know it's like it wasn't a nice song it was a mean song right Bob Ezrin turned it into a nice song. Okay, um, th- they didn't want it called Beck because of Jeff Beck. Right. And I'll never get the credit for it, but I named it Beth because Neil Bogard was his wife's name was Beth, and she was a twin, and Beck was a twin. So I said that you know it's kind of like a you know co- a little coincidence there. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Beck was a twin, and Neil Bogard's wife Beth was a twin. Okay. And um, I actually was, I actually did it in a little mean way for Neil because he was getting divorced from her and, and Kiss wasn't getting along with Neil at one point. They would, they had a lawsuit going. And um, I said, well, why don't you just, you know, like put the knife in and twist it, you know, call it Beth, you know, so and Neil had never liked the name of the song. Never, never liked it. But uh, then they got to be friends again. You know, they, they settled whatever the differences they had. I think it was something to do with, of course, money. <laughs> but then um, then when they did the song, okay, we had moved to Manhattan at the time, and um, 
they were working on Destroyer, and I was just newly in Manhattan, so I was still looking for furniture, you know, because I came from a little apartment in Brooklyn, and I was still shopping and decorating and stuff, and, you know, Peter says, yeah, don't, you know, because I used to always go to the studio. I loved the studio. And um, he said, don't come down, you know, we're doing something, and I want you to come down when we're finished. And I said, okay. So when they were finished, they, they called me down. I went to the studio. They sat me on a chair on a high stool with headphones, and I'm not sure if all four of them were there, but at least three. I don't think Ace was there. I'm not sure, but I think Gene and Paul were there, Bob Ezrin and Peter. And um, they, they, you know, they, they, they made me listen to the song, and they right. said, well, what do you think of it? You know, because I knew what it sounded like before. And I said, I, as the tears are rolling down my face, I said it should have been called Lydia. And, you know, then, you know, they all started laughing. And, you know, they didn't want, um, first of all, Lydia's too many syllables. Right. And uh, they also didn't want people to know Peter was married at the time. And I don't know if that would have made a difference. But they, but they let me accept the People's Choice Award for it. You know, we were sitting at a table in Detroit one day. It was me, Peter, Jean, and Bill Coyne. Oh, no, Bill Coyne walked over and said, oh, by the way, it was me, Peter, and Jean. And he said, by the way, you're, you're, winning, you're, you're going to win the People's Choice Award. And I said, well, how do you know that? It's an award show. They said, this is the only award show that they tell you beforehand because they want everybody to show up. Right. They don't want people like, you know, well, I ain't going to win. I'll send somebody there just in case to accept the award for me. Unfortunately, I was the only unprofessional person there. I was, you know, the only one that wasn't the real person that won the award. Right. And because Kiss was already booked. They, Gene goes, what are we going to do? We're booked in Fargo, North Dakota. And what are we going to, you know, how are we going to, you know, we can't be sitting in the audience with our makeup on. It will look ridiculous. And so I just said, I'll accept it. And Gene right away said, okay. And I said, Almost as a what? joke? You, I said you, it as a joke. Right. Yeah. And Gene says, what? I mean, I said what to Gene? And Gene goes, yeah, you could accept it. I lost 10 pounds in 10 days. I was a nervous wreck. I had to do it in 10 days. Right. So I had 10 days to get ready, buy a dress, you know, figure out what to do with my hair, my nails, my, my <laughs> yeah. shoes, everything. You're I had going to, you to the know. ball, right, yeah. So I, w I, I, would, I wouldn't eat. I was like, I'd eat maybe an egg the whole day. I was like a nervous wow. wreck. I couldn't eat. Even, even one of the guys from Coin said to me, Alan Miller, he says, you know, he was like one of the higher up, Oh, I think he was. I think he had something to do with. He was managing stars or something. Not managing. Bill managed them, but he took care of stars. Right. And uh, he says he saw me in the office one day, and I guess it must have been written on my face. He looked at me and he goes, "Stage fright." <laughs> <laughs> right. And I says, "Oh, you better believe it." <laughs> but now, when when the song came out, and you know, like you said, uh, your marriage to Peter wasn't made public. At least within the Kiss camp, when. They put it on the record, and Beth was out and released. Everybody knew it was about you, right? Everybody in the camp. Everybody in the oh, camp. Yeah. It oh, was yeah. understood yeah. between. Yeah, because Peter Peter would come out and sing the song, and he would bat every time I'd be at the shows. He would, I'd be at the soundboard, and he would come and he'd bow to me, and then go on stage and sing the song. Wow, that's yeah. heavy. Yeah. So you are Beth. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm 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 Beth. I you know I I'll. I, it's not my name, but it doesn't matter. L I know. Lydia has three s syllables that yeah. so you can't, you can't fit that in. I know, I know. Beth, I hear you calling. Yeah. Well, that's about it. That's pretty much how the podcast has gone down week after week for the past four years, and I'm very happy to state that we have no plans on stopping. And when I say we, I mean of course Nick and I, but also very much part of the podcast is our webmaster Ule Berlin who uploads every episode onto the various platforms, handles any technical glitches that may arise, and basically keeps the podcast on its tracks. There is also the podcast's Black Coffee Brigade, a little club to distinguish guests who have been on the podcast three times or more. It's just an acknowledgement and gratitude for their time. Membership is few, but growing, with Damien Abraham, Wade McNeil, Brendan Canning, Ule Berlin, J.C., Nick Flanagan, Duff McKagan, and most recently, Barrett Martin. There are quite a few guests who have just one more appearance to do before they join the club too, most notably Marty Friedman, Sean Cullen, Stuart Berman, Jason Rouse, and George Pettit. 
And I know there are podcasts out there who charge money and you need to subscribe and you need sponsors. They need sponsors to keep going, but we don't. This is free and done because it's it's fun. That's it. That's it. I do, though, ask if you've listened to the podcast and like what you hear to subscribe or at least leave a positive rating and or a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. That helps the podcast's profile. Either way, glad you're here listening. I guess I should do some plugs since I never really have, I don't think. It's taken me a hundred episodes to plug my own band, but you can find us at dankojones.com, twitter.com slash dankojones, facebook.com slash dankojones, and on Instagram at danko underscore jones. Nick Flanagan can be found on Twitter at The Flans. Also, there's his band Wronghole at wrongholemusic.bandcamp.com. And for tour dates and videos of Nick Flanagan, visit theflans.com. So there you have it. 100 episodes down and a thousand more to go. Glad you stuck around. The Danko Jones Podcast will be back with episode number 101. It seems like we're okay. Do you want to ride?